0: Well, good morning. It's great to see each of you here today. Um, we are so glad that KenneCut is here. We missed having you guys last summer, but it is so good to have you all with us. And I know you all come to serve here in our community. In fact, there'll be some students and families that will come here this week. They would never come in these doors with us on Sunday, but they'll come to a Kennecutt camp out and get to hear the word and the gospel but um, here's our prayer. Our prayer is that for those of you staying in our homes, it'll be refreshing to you. And we hope that while you're around this place this week, it'll be refreshing. I know some of our people are going to have lunch for you every day, and just know that we're praying for you. And we're just grateful that you are here. In fact, we want to pray for you again in just a moment. For most of you, you remember Monty and Soshi Scott. They were here about eight years ago. Their family kind of grew up, their children here, and moved away to um, another job. This past week, their oldest son, Isaac, uh, passed away. And so if you would just be remembering the Scots, in fact, for these past eight years, every Sunday morning, they watched online. And so I would imagine maybe they are even again today and We think of you and pray for you. In fact, would you pray with me for the Scots and for these students and what will take place this week? And Fathers, we just bow our hearts to you. Thank you for just a time to be able to sing together and hopefully get our minds on your goodness and greatness. And I pray that you would help us to not allow all the other things of our lives to be able to steal from us these moments just to be with you in your presence. I pray that you'll help us to fight to be present in your presence this morning. And God, we're thankful that Kennecutt is here, that you've allowed them to be able to come back this summer, and we are excited for what you're going to do through them in the life of our community. But we want to be a blessing to them, and I pray that will be so this week. I pray the rest will be well Their fellowship in the homes will be great. Just being here during this week, interacting with one another and some people of our church, may it be an incredible blessing. We pray for the Scots today. We can't imagine what it is like. And so I pray that you would give them great, great grace. I'm grateful they have the assurance that Isaac knew you and he's with you. And may you comfort them with that hope. I pray this in your name. Amen. So we've been reading through the Bible this year together as a church, and we have just finished up 1 and 2 Timothy. In fact, if you will take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy, we'll start there and we'll end at the last of uh, 2 Timothy. Don't worry, that's not going to be a long time, okay? But First um, and 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy was written by Paul. He was writing to Timothy, who was a young man that he loved deeply. He probably was the one that led Timothy to come to know Christ. And he just invested his life in him. In fact, he was going to be the one who kind of took Paul's place. Uh, Paul believed that without a successor, there's really no success. And so he was pouring his life into this young man And we find there in 1 Timothy, if you have it, chapter 1, all of 1 Timothy is him charging what he is to do as a godly young man. And so for a little bit, if you will, just listen where we'll be turning to. And I just want to walk through 1 Timothy for a little bit. And I hope that you hear the weight that Paul is putting on Timothy of, hey, listen, you've been called by God, you've been gifted by God. I'm not there, you're in my place, here is what I charge you to do. Now, I hope that you hear it like Paul saying it to Timothy. But I hope you also hear it that this is the word of God to his children, you and I. And I hope that you hear it with as much weight as Timothy heard it. I hope that I, I hope that you hear it as he's speaking to you and I as well. If you will, chapter 1, starting in verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any other doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Go on down to verse 18, if you will, this charge, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Turn, if you will, right to chapter four, chapter four, starting in verse seven. "'Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. "'Rather, train yourself for godliness. "'For while the bodily training is of some value, "'godliness is of value in every way "'as it holds promise for the present life "'and also for the life to come. "'The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance. "'For to this end we toil and we strive "'because we have our hope set on the living God.' who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in the way you conduct yourself, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the Scriptures, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift you have been given, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers." Flip on over to chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 22. Hopefully, you're kind of getting the weight of this particular letter to Timothy. In verse 22, he says, Do not be hasty in laying on hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, chapter 6, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. He's just been talking about for those who want to be rich and the evils that come with that. So he's saying to Timothy, don't go after that. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in approachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And then I want you to look at verse 20 and 21. He kind of ends out this particular letter. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble, the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swayed from the faith. And so hopefully you feel the kind of the weight. As Paul is writing to Timothy, I've left you. You've got a huge job ahead of you. And I just charge you, keep going. It's a huge fight. Now in between... 1 Timothy and 2 is about six years. During that six years, now Paul is in prison. But he's found himself in prison unlike any other time because most of the time when Paul was in prison, it was like house arrest. Meaning he could kind of come and go, people could come and go. But now he is in a prison dungeon. He is not going to get out. This is his last letter. He's probably ever going to write. He probably does not ever see Timothy again, and yet he has heard that Timothy has begun to drift. So what he really encouraged him with in First Timothy, six years later, he hears that Timothy is drifting. He is not holding fast. He is not doing some of the things that Paul really charged him to do. And so he writes him one more letter and he hopes and prays that Timothy will take it to heart. And that's what I want to camp on for just a few moments. If you will, Second Timothy, starting chapter 1 and verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and your mother, and now I am sure it dwells in you. He says, hey, listen, I know you have a sincere faith. It literally means without wax. A a guy back then or a woman back then who made pottery, if they did all this work and they kind of heated it up so that it would harden, if it got a crack in it, for most people, they would throw it away. And it would be a waste of time and expense. But for those who were deceptive, they would take wax and they'd fill in the crack. And then when it dried, they would just paint over it. And no one would ever know. But what Paul is saying to Timothy is, listen, I know your faith is sincere. It's without crack. It is the real thing. In fact, this whole letter is really a reminder to Timothy. C.S. Lewis said, for most Christians, we don't need instruction, we need to be reminded. For most of us, we know what the Bible says, we know what the Spirit of God is speaking to us and telling us, hey, this is how you take the scriptures, this is how I want you to live life, but for most of us, we just need to be reminded at times, and Timothy is needing to be reminded. In fact, in verse 6, he says, for this reason... I wrote you a whole letter before six years ago, and because you have sincere faith, I am writing to you again to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So for a minute, I just want to talk about giftedness. So if you will, I want you to keep your finger, and Timothy will come back, but take a left and go to Romans chapter 12. For some of you, if you don't have your Bible or if you don't have a device, your worship guide, that passage is in there. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So while we turn there, I just want to kind of uh, say this as we look at this. I am not going to really talk about and concentrate on specific gifts. What I'm looking at today is the stewardship of the gift. The deal is, as a believer, God has sovereignly gifted every one of you. If you are a child of God, you have been gifted by God. And it was given to you by God so that you would steward it, meaning you would use it wisely. God did not gift you and I for our own self. He gifted us that it could be used for other people and for his glory. And so, listen to these passages, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And what I want you to hear is the stewardship. It was sovereignly given to you and I by God. He meant for you and I to use it wisely. And so it says, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, which means the first 11 chapters of Romans, if you remember, a few years ago, Pastor Marty went through the book of Romans. Romans 1-11 through 11 is all about God's redemption of you and I. It is the mercies of God. And then the second half of Romans is about, because of that, you and I, here's how you and I are to live. And so he goes on to say... By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or as the old King James said, reasonable service. So what he's saying, in light of all that God has done to redeem you and I, our just reasonable service is a sacrifice to lay down our life. Like, it's just a reasonable thing to do. If God went through all this for you and I to be redeemed, it's just a reasonable response that you and I would live a sacrificial life. And so he warns them in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so, what he's saying here about this faith is it's not about saving faith, it's about the faith that God has given you and I to take the gift that God has given us and to use it appropriately because every one of us have a God-given gift. And I hope you hear this. It is sovereignly given to you and I that you and I would steward it for God's glory, the good of other people, and don't miss this last one, and for our joy. Did you hear that? Most of us, when we are not experiencing joy... It is probably because we are not stewarding the gift that God has given us. Did you hear that? It was sovereignly given to you. You did not choose the gift God gave you. He chose it for you. He gave it to you that he would be glorified Good would come to other people, but you would experience joy. The thing is, when you are living, keeping in step with the Spirit, living according to God's Word, and your gift is being used, you get this incredible joy that, like, hey, I don't deserve this. It is not me. It's the gift of God that He has given me, and I am using it for His honor. And so if you're lacking joy, look and see, are you stewarding? Are you using it according to what God would have you? Verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, In other words, don't be jealous because someone else has this gift and you don't. God chose that you would have a particular gift, God chose that they would have that gift. That's his choice. And so it says, Let us use them in prophecy in proportion to your faith, in service in your service, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts or encourages in his encouragement, the one who contributes, one who is a giver in generosity, the one who is a leader administration with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So in other words, God has gifted every one of us. And you know, there are all these gift tests. I don't know if you've ever taken them, there's one gift test that, like, took me I don't know how long. And when I got done, I had no clue, like, what it was. It was just way too long. And over the years, here's how I've come to kind of describe it. Hope it'll help you. It's helped me. It is supernaturally given by God, but it feels natural to you. It is supernaturally given to you by God. But when you are walking in the Spirit, obeying His Word, your gift feels just natural. It is something that just flows from your life. And so if you will, flip back to 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. So Timothy has been gifted. You and I have been gifted Paul is saying to him, for this reason, I remind you to fan into to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying of hands. So here's my question. Why was Timothy floundering? Why was he drifting? Why was Timothy not fully engaged in using the giftedness that God had given him? Why? Well, here's kind of maybe a little clue fan into flame fan into flame means that something has gone either out or it has been quenched so if you will keep in first timothy take a left go to first thessalonians chapter 5 first thessalonians chapter 5 at the very end you'll see these little just two or three word statements Chapter 5, starting in verse 16. And they're just like bullets. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And right in the midst of all that, Paul is saying, Don't quench, don't throw water, don't separate from, don't quench the Spirit of God. It could be that you're not rejoicing, you're not praying, it could be that you're not being grateful, It could be that uh, there's a part of the Word of God or someone is teaching it or you're reading it. You're going like, I I really don't like that. I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'll pick and choose what I'm going to obey or not. Or abstaining from every appearance of evil. Uh, The truth is, all these different things and many more could quench, extinguish, throw cold water on the Spirit of God. And so... What could it have been? What could it have been? So back to 1 Tim- 2 Timothy, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 8. Here's just some ideas. Paul mentions them. We don't know if they were all of them, but here are some that possibly Timothy, because of these particular things, is quenching the Spirit of God, which is... Dumbing down his giftedness that God has given him. Chapter 1, verse 8 Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We know this for a fact that Timothy did not want to suffer, he didn't want to go through difficult times. He didn't want to be uncomfortable. He didn't want to associate with Paul at times because, you see, if you would come to visit Paul, maybe the guards would go, well, you're one of them, and just throw you in prison as well. And so the ultimate thing is that Timothy did not want to have to suffer for any of the cause of Christ, didn't want to have to be uncomfortable in any situation. The truth is, as followers of Christ, I am saying this to me as much as I'm saying it to anyone. But as a follower of Christ, you and I have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. I would figure that all you can cut folks would say amen at that. Have you not gotten comfortable with being uncomfortable? You're not going to say anything, are you? You're like, no. Our leader said, everything is good. Like, I know this. Like, what we cooked last night, all of you said, this is the greatest thing ever. Listen, I grilled those burgers and I know better, all right? (laughs) So I know. But the deal is, all of us, not just y'all guys, all of us have to become where we're comfortable with being uncomfortable because, hear me, you cannot grow and be comfortable at the same time. You can't. You and I as followers of Christ, it just doesn't go together. Maybe you've heard this before. If it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. Here I'm realizing more and more the older I get, I need more challenge because I'm realizing I have more to change than I've ever had before or realized in my life. I've been a believer now 41 years But I'm realizing I need more change. I need to be changed more. I need more challenge so that I will change. And so I guess my question would be, is there in you a not wanting to suffer or not be uncomfortable? Because if so, it could be that that would be one of the issues of quenching the Spirit. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verses 3 and 4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civil pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, civil pursuits, they're not necessarily bad in themselves, right? We all have to do those. It's just not what you were enlisted for, is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, you're getting entangled in too many things that are outside of what you have been called to do. Now, here's the thing about entanglement. Entanglement causes you to lose focus. It causes you to lose wholeheartedness towards something. And you know what happens after you lose wholeheartedness, you become kind of double-minded. And a double-minded person is unstable in how many of his ways? All of them. And so we become entangled. We become, start stumbling over everything. And here's the important thing about becoming entangled. It is absolutely important for you and I to recognize when we're getting entangled. Because you know what the next step is? You're entangled, and then you become enslaved. I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, The Screw Tape Letters. Um, Micah Rigdon is like the only person I know that understands C.S. Lewis. I've tried to read one of his books, and I read it two or three times, and it's just sitting on my shelf. Uh, It's a good door block. I mean, I can't understand the guy. It's just like, I like like little quotes, and so I've got a lot of little quotes from this particular book called The Screwtape Letters, and the whole book is about a senior demon training a younger demon how to trip up believers, and the whole gist of the book, you don't have to go read the book now. I'm going to tell you the whole deal right here, and you'll go like, hey, I read that book, so here's the deal. He said, just get them busy with everything else other than the kingdom, and that's all you have to do. You don't have to try to make them bad. Just make them busy. Just get them entangled in all kinds of pursuits. And here's, here's a statement I've, I've remembered forever. See if I can say it. I hope you'll remember it. Every time you say yes, there is less of you to go around. Make sure your less, your yes, is worth the less. So every time you and I say yes to do something, there's less of us. There's less energy. There's less anything. So just make sure that it's the yes God would have for you. So that whatever less is really worth that yes that you're going to. If you will, look at verse 5. Because he says to Timothy, like an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. In other words, he has stepped out of bounds. And stepping out of bounds, God-given boundaries can quench the Spirit of God. And so the great thing about all of these, any of these that we talk about, if you and I will quickly recognize it, we can quickly, what, confess and repent and get back in the game. Here's one, verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. In other words, work hard now for future rewards. That's what a farmer, if you're growing a garden, that's what you have to do. You sow the seed and you wait. You have to work hard and you have to wait. And so what would Timothy, could be maybe a temptation. It would be that he doesn't see any fruit and he just quits. He worked hard. He's toiled hard. He's done Kennecut all summer long. He hasn't seen any fruit. You've been a Sunday school teacher. You've done this. You've served the Lord. You're trying to live for the Lord in your neighborhood, at your work, at your school, whatever. You're not seeing any fruit. And the temptation is, and I know this, for personal, I know this. You don't see fruit, and so you want to quit. You want to quit. I don't see any fruit. I must not be really called to this. God must have not gifted me for this. I don't see any results. Stories told of a pastor in Scotland. He was discouraged. He was turning in his resignation letter. Um, I have one in my Bible I keep every Monday morning. I turn it in. It's just like, you're like, what use, you know? He turned it in, and people are perplexed, like, why why would you quit? He goes, I've been here all these years, and nothing. I've seen no one respond. And one, one lady who worked in, like, with the children said, oh, but you forget, Pastor Little Davey, and he's trying to, like, think, like, who, what are you talking about? And she goes, oh, don't you remember little Davy Livingston? He, he accepted the Lord. You remember him? Yeah, yeah, vaguely. You know who I'm talking about? Dave Livingston. He opened up Africa to mission work. Countless people over the years. He didn't see a lot of fruit. I have to tell you, so I've done this 40 years now. It is only by the grace and mercy of God that I've ever seen any fruit, any fruit. And you and I, I believe it's God just holding it back. He doesn't want us to get proud. And some people think when you get to heaven, you'll get to see all the fruit. It won't matter. doesn't matter, right? Because here's the deal about a believer. Our responsibility is not fruit. Our responsibility is to faithfully sow and to sow abundantly and to water. You and I are to faithfully, effectively, we need to do it correctly. The gospel needs to be clear, but we are to do it not sparingly, but abundantly. We are to sow and sow and sow. And we are to water and nurture and pray and yet leave the results to God. And if you forget that, Jim, if you forget that, Canna Cut, if y'all forget it, you will quit before God is done. Hear me. You're done when you're dead. You are done When you're dead. When God is done with you, that is when you and I, it is not up to us when we quit. It's not up to you and I to decide, oh, this is the time to stop. Because if you will, look in verse 7, and I stop with this. Because verse 7 is our memory verse. Hopefully, many of you have been memorizing that. Because it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear or some of your translations say timidity it is only used here in the new testament which ought to capture your attention like if the spirit of god chose to use a particular word in one setting of the bible it ought to really like god is really saying something here because he is this is a particular type of fear that doesn't come from like sudden fearfulness it comes from a weak selfish disposition. It comes from, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to suffer. Um, I would rather do this. I would rather not do that. I'd rather have my own time. I'd rather be able to do this. It comes from a cowardly, selfish, which I have had and I can still have, to where I just don't want to do that. I'm tired. Like, I'm tired, I've done that for a long time. It's time for someone else to do that. i like, hey, I've been doing it. Like, who else is in line to do it? And the truth is, there's probably no one else because God's called you to do that. He's called you to do that. And so it's not up to you and I to go like, hey, I'm done, I'm gonna let someone else do it. It is God's, when he says you're done, And so here's what he says, I didn't give you that, I didn't give you that type of spirit, but here's what I gave you, and here's the first one, I gave you power. The Spirit of God has given you and I power. I want you, if you will, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 through 20. Now I want you to listen to this, this is a prayer of Paul, and he says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places. And here's, this is a prayer of Paul. And did you catch it? Paul was not praying that they would be given divine power. He was praying that they would what? Recognize that they've already been given. So I want you to keep that in mind. Let's read it again. He is praying that would you recognize that God has already given you the power to do what I've called you to do. So with those ears, listen, I do not cease to give thanks. I'm praying for you. I'm remembering you in all my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. In other words, God's, he's not praying you will get it. He is praying will you realize it. You and I need to realize that we have been given the power of God to use what he has given us for his glory, the good of other people, and for our joy. So the great theologian John Wayne said, Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. The deal is, saddling up, do it anyway, waiting until there's no more fear, it might not happen. In fact, Dennis Rainey, for me, gave a definition of courage I hold this dear. He said, courage to step into a situation is recognizing that something else or someone else is more important than my own comfort. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know this to be true. Where your child is in a situation and because of your love for them, you courageously stepped in, you weren't thinking of your own self, You are thinking of their benefit. The deal is for you and I as followers of Christ, you and I are to have courage to step into a situation because we are recognizing that something else or someone else, something else is God's glory. The someone else is other people, are more important than just our own comfort. Here's the second one. He's not only given you and I power, he's given us love. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Romans 5, 5. So He has given you and I the power to use the giftedness He's given us He's also given us the love we need because, verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out. It literally means waterfold. The, work, the love of God, He has waterfolded into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I just don't feel like I love those people enough or that thing enough to enter into it, when the truth is, all of God's love has been poured into my heart. It has been poured into your heart. All of God's power, all of his love. And then here's the last one. If you'll look at it, it says, and he's also given a self-control, or again, some of y'all's translations say discipline. It's only used one other time. You don't have to turn there, but we read it a little bit ago in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Listen to it. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. In other words, this self-discipline, this self-control, it is sober judgment. God has given us this sober judgment. If you will, look to the left on your notes. There's a quote. John MacArthur said this about God-given discipline. allows believers to control every element of their lives, whether positive or negative. It allows them to experience success without becoming proud, and it allows them to suffer failure without becoming bitter or hopeless. The disciplined life is the divinely ordered life in which godly wisdom is applied to every situation. And then below that, there's a quote by a guy named Jerry Bridges. He says this, Our duty is not to decide what we want to be or to do, but to discover on the basis of our capabilities and gifts what God wants us to do and be. Contentment lies not in being first, but in being faithful to fulfill the function God has called us to in the body of Christ. So I have one more, if you would, turn to Hebrews, the last chapter. So did Timothy ever stop drifting? Like, did he take heed to what Paul wrote to him? Like, did he just read it and keep on drifting? Well, this is the only indication you and I have. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23. It's real small. You'd miss it if you weren't really paying attention. But it says, You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. He didn't want to suffer, he didn't want to be uncomfortable. He was getting entangled. He might be stepping out of bounds. He didn't see fruit. He wanted to quit. Did anything change in his life? Well, honestly, it looks like that Timothy wound up in prison for his faith as well because he realized he was a steward of what God had given him. You're a steward. I'm a steward. God has gifted you. Your gift is for His glory, the good of other people, and your joy. My question, are you stewarding it? Are you stewarding it? Is there an area we've looked at, the same for Timothy, is there an area like you've stepped into, it's quenched, it's not as hot, the flame is not as hot as it used to be that dishonors God. It's not stewarding. It's not being a good steward of what God has given. Would you for a moment just bow your heads, close your eyes. I have confessed. I have repented. And I will until the day I die because this can happen to all of us. And it has, it is, its and the truth is, God has given us the ability, when we recognize it, when the Spirit of God prompts our heart, pricks our conscience, we realize we are not a flame as we used to be. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to serve here. We don't want to do that. The Spirit of God pricks our heart. We can quickly confess. He grants repentance. That we can get back in the game. I I don't know anyone's mail. But God put this letter. These two letters in his book. And they are addressed to you and I. If what has been spoken. From his scriptures applies to your heart today. Quickly confess and repent and fan into flame the gift that god has given you father i would pray the same prayer as paul that myself others would recognize that you have sovereignly chose to gift us that you would use us in this world and along with it, you've given us your power and you've given us your love. You have given us the ability to have self-control in the midst of a world that's out of control. And so I pray that we would appropriate that correctly. May your spirit work in our hearts and show us the areas we maybe are entangled in that we are not able to pursue what you called us to as we should because we're so entangled or we've stepped out of bounds or maybe there's someone here they've just quit they didn't see any use they didn't think you were using them I pray that you'd remind them help us to be faithful to sow and to water help us to be faithful till you come again or till you call us home, help us to be faithful. Again, I pray for my brothers and sisters from Kennecott. They have a long day and a long week. May you empower them. May your love, you've waterfalled in their heart, be right there as they pour it onto other children. And may in the midst of all can be some difficult times long days may they have the self-control to govern themselves in the midst there'll be examples before children who do not know you and may their example you use it mightily and in front of parents and i pray that you'll do a good work i ask this in your name